0: We still had those, and we were able to build relationships with this guy over, you know, two three years, paying over market rent. And he saw how we took care of his places, and paid on time every month, and saw our listings and reviews and everything. And he was like, "Hey, I'm actually like trying to semi retire." Um, he was like a smaller developer at like 30 doors or something, but he's like, "I have this whole network of people, and this is what I do. And maybe I'll sell some of my buildings and you know replace them into stuff that you guys can manage, so I don't have to worry about it." Um, he introduced us to a bunch of people and that's kind of just that flywheel effect of proof of concept and if you make people money, then they like to give you more. So,
1: Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. So you've seen them all over Instagram. You may have even seen them in Dwell Magazine. And if you love design, travel, and hospitality, chances are that you've even dreamed about what it would be like to build your very own A-frame, cabin, or barn house with their designs. Today, I'm ecstatic to announce that this episode's sponsor is none other than Den Outdoors, the incredible company behind some of the most wish-listed cabins on Airbnb and the most followed A-frames on Instagram. Stay tuned for an incredible promotion in just about 15 minutes from now that will grant behind the Stage listeners 50% off of Den's digital plans. All right, enjoy the episode, and stay tuned for the promotion about 15 minutes into the show. In just a moment, you'll meet Hayden LaVertie founder of CHJ Development, a real estate developer in Portland, Oregon, focused on acquiring, designing, and constructing the city's most significant short-term rental residences. Hayden learned pretty early on in life that he wasn't cut out for the traditional nine to five. After working at two internships during college at Intel and Pricewater Cooper, Hayden realized that he loved working hard and pushing the envelope of convention, and he just didn't have much patience for some of the bureaucratic friction that exists in these establishments. So after graduating from Arizona State University, Hayden decided to shoot his shot by starting his own business. In this episode of Behind the Stays, Hayden shares the story behind the opportunity he saw in the short-term rental real estate development and management game, how he's scaled his business to over 200 units under management, why he thinks OTAs like Airbnb should actually charge hosts more, and what he's learned as a young entrepreneur about the importance of focus, grit, and differentiation. All right, folks, without further ado, get ready to meet Hayden. All right, Hayden, we are live. How are you doing today, dude? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I uh, It is 3 p.m. and I am on my fourth cup of coffee. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I don't know what that says about my day, but uh, but doing well, doing well. I I can't complain. This is actually my fourth podcast of the day, man. Can you believe it? That's, that's a lot.
0: Yeah. I'm on the opposite program as you. I'm on our uh, coffee break right now.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, are you one of those? Are you, are you a cold plunger too? Kind of guy? Is that, is that who you are? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh dude. I aspire to be like you one day. I, I don't know. I don't know how folks do it. I don't, my, my problem to be totally candid is like, I like the taste too much. Like I feel like. I feel like the caffeine I could probably unaddict myself from, but the taste, dude. I think I would just miss it. Oh,
0: I do too. But I'm probably more addicted to the sugar. I'm a latte guy, so
1: that's what, that's part of the the why the breaks needed. Okay, um, I, I, I feel you, man. Well, hey, en- enough about coffee. I'm excited to dive in and hear a little bit more about your story. I've followed you on Twitter for several months now, and it's been fun to kind of just learn a little bit from from your threads uh, and from how you engage with other people in the short term rental community. And I, I wanted to really just start at the beginning and hear a little bit more about your story, and specifically the story behind uh, CHG Development, which is which is your company. So. Take this in whatever direction you want, but when when someone you know is sitting next to you at the coffee shop or maybe not the coffee shop these days, but the bar, and they, <laughs> and they ask you to to tell uh, to tell them a little bit about sort of your uh, the genesis of, of you and 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 your story, and specifically the story of CHJ. How do you how do you respond?
0: Yeah, so um, I think you took some notes from my LinkedIn. So I did a couple of internships at Intel and PwC. Um, one of your questions was kind of how I got the confidence to just go out and start a business on my own. After that, it was really more the opposite of my experience there kind of led me to know that I wasn't going to be able to work for, for other people. Um, so, I mean, my, my manager actually from Intel is one of my largest LPs today. Really? And so I worked for him only for like three or four months and I was in mergers and acquisitions accounting and it, it was great. Did a great job. Finished my stuff early um and when it came to review time and they don't have like the way the intel works at least they don't have grades for interns so okay. you just grade, get graded as a first year and if you get graded like above level that means you're technically getting promoted so he like graded me above level on everything so i was like oh okay well does that mean i get like hired at the different position He was like i don't know actually i don't work with like a lot of people in that grade level so let me go ask around and then i'll let you know so he did and he was like yeah i think you meet that qualification i'm gonna go talk to hr <laughs> well hr came back to me and they were like hey, uh, we can't offer you that other position, but we'll like we'll give you five grand. And I was like, yeah, what if I take the, the lower pay and can I have the position? Cause I'm pretty sure I'll be getting promoted from that yeah. sooner rather than later anyways too. And they're like, yeah, we, we can't do that. So I was <laughs> like, well, then, then I can't work here. <clears throat> Similar experience at PwC. So kind of simultaneously, as I was wrapping up at PwC, a buddy of mine from high school that we'd done like small, silly high school business stuff together had rented some apartments here and this was like eight years ago and Airbnb was relatively fresh. Not a lot of regulation around maybe in San Francisco and New York. Um, And he was traveling a lot for work, but we were like 20 years old. We'll finish college early. He didn't want to live at home. So he's like, Hey, maybe I can just get one of these apartments and Airbnb it while I'm in Europe and break even or make some money. And then I'll have a place to stay when I'm in town Yeah, and ended up making some pretty good money. So he contacted me and he's like, Hey, this is what I've got going on. I'm pretty sure you have some money saved up. You want to do another one of these. So we did. And we got our arbitrage p- portfolio up to like, it wasn't very many, like five, eight units, something like that. Um, Which is and, still impressive
1: for being, you know, a 20 year old. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh no, we were, we were scraping it together. And it was like <laughs> equally as stressful as work is now, just in a completely different way. Like you don't know what you don't know kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and then Portland started kind of tightening the regulation and releasing more and more regulation and pretty quickly for like how, you know, slow, usually bureaucratic processes move. So they went from like no regulations to, hey, you need this permit that you file with us. And it's like easy hundred bucks, but you you should have a license and you live there. Um, but no fine if okay. you're not following it. Yeah. To, like immediate guilty until proven innocent thousand dollar <laughs> fine that ratchets up to like $5,000 if you don't comply. And as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, okay, I need to either go back and get like a good finance job or... You know, is there a way to make this more sustainable? And my mind immediately went to, well, we have hotels, we got a Hilton, we got a Marriott. So, what makes them different? I don't have any family background in real estate or didn't yeah. have very many mentors at the time or anything. So, I just started reading the building and zoning code, huh. um, and contacting architects. Got told to no a bunch of times, and I finally figured out we got a pretty unique uh, zoning layout here in Portland. And so, there's quite a few zones actually that allow hotel by right. And so, we kind of pivoted from doing rental arbitrage to more developing and buying properties by necessity of the regulation um less than i think if if it was still legal we probably would have rolled with the rental arbitrage thing so just a a bit of luck i guess that it like channeled us in that direction and then that's what we've been doing since
1: wow wow so i mean that's like a, a pretty like quick timeline right or like talk to me like was this over the over the course of a couple years a few years like what what does the timeline look yeah a
0: like? cu- cu- couple years it was pretty quick okay
1: okay so you just like popped open regulation 101 and started reading through these these documents to understand what was feasible and not feasible in in portland like that's that's what you were doing for fun, right? Presumably, right? Like to, yeah, yeah, pretty much.
0: I mean, I, my personality, I'm just like, I've not been a good at holding, no, being told no, just because, um, <laughs> and like what i found in life is that if something doesn't make sense, it's usually not the whole truth. And somebody's probably giving you like a convenient answer. And that's how I was in college and high school with professors, teachers. It, it didn't matter if something didn't add up to me. I've always kind of been a questioner and did my own thing, things my own way in an academic way. Um, so when I realized we have hotels, I'm like, well, they do it legally somehow. So what yeah. are they doing? And then it's just a matter of figuring it out. And then once I get started, that's like the that gets me in my and my flow state. Yeah, for sure.
1: Den Outdoors began because its founders knew that building a cabin changes who you are and having a cabin changes how you live and sharing a cabin. Well, that changes how you engage with others. I've met so many incredible hosts in the short-term rental community who have used Den Designs to build their bespoke escapes, many of whom who have been guests on this very podcast. And now it brings me so much joy to announce that we have partnered with Den to bring you an exclusive discount on their digital design plans. By using the discount code SPONSTAY50, that's S-P-O-N-S-T-A-Y 50, at checkout, you can get any of Den's digital plans for 50% off. That's right, 5-0, not 15%, 50%. So even if you're not quite ready to pull the trigger on the land that you've been eyeing to build your dream cabin on, go ahead and purchase a den plan today because chances are you're not gonna find a deal like this one again anytime soon. So head on over to denoutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code spawnstay 50 at checkout. That's spawnstay 50 at checkout. One word, no spaces. All right, guys, back to the show. So what? So so what specifically was was the business model? Uh, at least at least at the at the offset here. Like what what was the idea, and how were you sort of like pitching this to? I, I assume you worked with investors from from the get go here. So like what was the what was the basic business idea, and how did you go about pitching it?
0: Yeah, no trust fund. So and uh, LPs <laughs> from the beginning.
1: Um, I mean, when we were doing the rental arbitrage thing, my
0: manager from Intel just did a really good job. Uh, he must have saw my potential. He did a really good job of staying in touch with me. Um, and so we went and grabbed lunch one day and he's like, oh, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm doing this short-term rental thing. And he was like, oh, I was going to buy, pick up another piece of investment real estate anyways. So why don't you send me stuff that you think would be a good fit and I'll do a project with you guys. And that was kind of the, like basically we took our equity as an interest-bearing loan from him. Um, Me and my partner got 10% each, which was really slim. We managed it super, super cheap, um, cleaned it ourselves. And all the money that we got from managing and cleaning it, we used to pay back the loan until it was fully repaid. Um, That was kind of the first deal. And then one of our other big LPs was actually one of the people that we were renting a rental arbitrage unit from. So we kind of just like kept the units that we had because yeah. the way that it's even though Portland has really strict regulations, the their version of enforcement is just basically your neighbors turning you in. Yeah. Um, so we're like, Hey, we'll just run these things. And then, you know, once it comes to light, then we'll just shut them down and follow what we're supposed to follow. So uh, we still had those and we were able to build relationships with this guy over, you know, two, three years paying over market rent. And he saw how we took care of his places and paid on time every month and saw our listings and reviews and everything. And he was like, Hey, I'm actually like, trying to semi-retire. Um, he was like a smaller developer. at had like 30 doors or something. Okay. But he's like, I have this whole network of people and this is what I do. And maybe I'll sell some of my buildings and, you know, replace them into stuff that you guys can manage. So I don't have to worry about it. Um, he introduced us to a bunch of people and that's kind of just that flywheel effect of proof of concept. And if you make people money, then they like to give you more. So,
1: yeah, <laughs> Uh, dude, that's awesome. So you mentioned just a second ago that you had some. You, I think you called it like stupid high school businesses. But I'm just, I, I'm always just fascinated when I talk to uh, entrepreneurs who, <laughs> who are young but have have done cool things. And you you know you clearly are a, a curious individual. So like what what was like one or, or maybe like what was your first business? Like the the first thing that you did that actually like made a little bit of money.
0: Uh, we didn't make money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, w- where but, did you lose money?
0: <laughs> uh, the, yeah, it took took, it took a bunch of savings from my. I'd worked at a golf course, minimum wage job. And uh me and my buddy did a concert here in Portland and lost all of our money. But it was, a, it was a good good experience. That was like the main big thing. And I was just fortunate. I went to a high school that had a lot of um we had a lot of business classes. Okay. So I took a lot of business classes in high school. We had like an AP accounting class, which was super rare, at least at that time. Um, so just a lot of like business plans and summaries and stuff, nothing that necessarily like came to light. I think I worked on there was like a local um, clothing business in town. And I like made a, a loyalty program for them, rewards program. Um, Very cool just stuff like that. We were always kind of just dabbling and stuff like that, but nothing necessarily ever stuck until yeah. this.
1: And 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 what what was it? What, like, what do you think it was about about this business? Right, this this uh, the hospitality business, the short term rental business that like was particularly attractive to you. Was it was it serious? Was it just like the potential for the upside was did you actually enjoy hosting like talk to us a little bit about sort of like what what was sticky about about this business
0: Uh, that's a good question i mean like i said once i get into like the code stuff i think that that really um that that got me going and the other thing is with once we got more into the real estate stuff i really like seeing something that's like not a non productive asset yeah. um come to to use and then seeing people enjoy it i can't say that i'm as passionate about like the customer service side yeah. of the business um so we have other people that run that now but i do really like identifying something and i'm i'm a sucker for a deal right so i always tell people like there are some pretty telltale signs i feel like in real estate of when you're going to be able to get a deal and there's definitely like a thrill to that, like knowing you're buying something at a discount, especially when you start dealing with bigger and bigger dollar amounts.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. For sure. What, uh, what's been like a lesson or two that you've kind of learned in in just the last couple years, uh, whether it be about real estate investing, whether it be about just running a business, right, whether it be like pitching to investors, what's what's something that like, you feel like has, I don't know, struck a chord with you in, in the last couple years in particular?
0: Um, I I mean, so I'm a big student of Talib and unforeseen risk and stuff like that. So obviously our business went through COVID, um, and we were highly impacted, but we were never at risk of going out of business. So early on, we pitched this LP and he, we were offering some pretty high, um, returns. And one of the questions that he asked me is like, well, you can go borrow hard money at 8%. So why are you going to pay me this and let me be your equity partner? Yeah. My my response to him was uh, that I want to share the risk. Hmm. Um, and he didn't like that, so he didn't invest with us. <laughs> but uh, if we would have done things his way, I think that, that, you know, without us having to raise a lot of outside capital during 2020, and I, I think that you have a lot less relationships and partners if all of your partners are lenders and not equity partners. Yeah. Um, it's harder to build relationships that way. Uh, I think we would have probably been in a lot of trouble. So you know that was a great lesson for us. It's like, hey, anything can can happen um and just be, being prepared and thankfully we we were yeah, so
1: and in in terms of your actual portfolio, so is are all of your units apartments?
0: No, no. Okay. we have a mix from uh, like single family houses all the way up to our biggest building is thirteen apartments and eight micro offices micro offices um, and that. What, yeah, what is so a micro like a little, office? Like kind of what you're in right now, right? Okay. But like people would rent that space to like have a separate space to go to that might not be in their main living space. And so it's like, I don't know, like 450 bucks a month, but they're getting like a 200 square foot office box, basically.
1: Nice, nice. Okay, awesome. And, ta- and in terms of just kind of like overall like portfolio size, like how how many like units are we talking?
0: Yeah, we're up to 255 doors Wow. Now. Wow. Um, and that's across like, I want to say it's like 38 buildings or something like that. And we, we don't own all those. We used to not manage for other people, but more recently, we have some like friends and family network that we've started managing some of their stuff that we don't own. Um, so we don't own all of those, but a good chunk of them.
1: Yeah, that that's impressive, man. And all in Portland. Is that is that correct? All oh, uh, we we have I think it's like thirty something
0: that are at Mount Hood, so just outside of the city, but the rest of them, yeah, are all in town. Wow,
1: wow. does that make you like? Are you one of the larger operators then, or or what? What's the market like? Uh, I
0: think we're the largest operator. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone else. It, it, the way that I view it is like the developers don't want the headache of dealing with operations. And because we have such strict regulations here, there aren't uh, a lot of third-party property managers. And yeah. in my op- opinion, in this business, third-party property managers just aren't good mm. anyways. It's not a mature industry like long-term rentals or you know, self-storage. You can really do a lot of it remotely. Yeah, it, It's just not the same type of business. It's really running a real estate business and a hospitality business, right? It'd be almost like, you own the building and you own the restaurant, or you own the building and you own the coffee shop. You own the building and you also operate the hotel, which in a lot of the, from what I can understand, a lot of the more commercial deals, the bigger sense, those are two separate entities. Yeah. Um, And you're really having to do both. But the developers that have money and actually could meet these codes, they don't want to run it themselves. And there's no one in town that they can hire. And from an operator's perspective, it's a lot of capital to own the building. So I think that that makes us, the biggest player because you have to own the buildings to meet these rigs that we have in Portland. Pretty much it's, it's nearly impossible to scale a business around like the residential permits that they
1: allow here. Yeah. Yeah. I I cannot imagine. I, I mean, I hear anecdotally about how difficult it is, but, I know nothing of, 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 the actual code, but, but I trust you, man. I mean, it, w- one of the questions I did have about Portland in particular, like is, uh, you know, I, you see stuff in the news, right. About just how like the city has, has, you know, is in somewhat of a decay. I, I don't know who to trust or who, to, you know, who to pay attention to <laughs> these days. Like I, I did visit, I did visit once. I, it must've been in, um, in 2021 during, I've been to Portland a few times but I visited during COVID and you know, it, it, I was downtown and it's definitely like an, it, it felt different than in than in twenty eighteen, let's just say, when I had gone there previously. So how how has that has has, that, has any of that like affected the business or, or is this more just like, ah oh, no, this is just kinda like clickbait in the media, it's not actually affecting us on a day to day basis?
0: I mean I think it's both right like there's a there's a story somewhere in the middle and 21 and 22 are record years for us so no it's not affecting okay. the business and that in that type of way um and that's like on a property by property basis right so just looking at year over year on the same property not just us like scaling in the aggregate yeah through unit size um but you know I'm born and raised here I grew up west of town kind of in like Nike Intel world which is like 30 minutes west of town and we didn't spend a lot of t- time downtown but what I will say is like I live downtown now near a lot of our rentals and that downtown area that you spent time in, I think that that's actually benefiting our business because that's where a lot of the larger hotels are. Huh. And yeah, that, that that area is pretty rough. They haven't taken care of it. And we have some bad policy here that I don't agree with. Um, but what's great about Portland is we kind of have these commercial corridors. And I don't know if you were able to explore that Um, but it makes our city pretty unique. So like Alberta, Mississippi, Hawthorne division, like we have these commercial corridors that jet out from that central business district area Okay. that, in my opinion, as a local resident here is like the least desirable place to go. Like anybody who lives in the like downtown area. So like I'm on 25th, right. Or so I'm I'm 25 blocks of the city center. Like we don't go down there. Yeah. Like it's Ruth, Chris, it's like, it's like more franchisey. Like there's a Canes down yeah. there in the mall, right? Like <laughs> it, it's, it's, it kind of almost feels like more suburban in a way. Like there aren't the local businesses that are great that make Portland what it is, aren't there, right? Yeah. Like our our breweries, our coffee shops, our like super funky vintage stuff. Like none of that is in that downtown core. It was too expensive even pre-COVID. Yeah. And so it, it really works around all these like commercial corridors that go out into the neighborhoods and are super walkable. And we definitely saw us change during COVID, but th- these areas have now pretty much all been cleaned up that's where the focus has been because that's where complaints come from So most people live and I, I think that a lot of downtown cores are seeing problems san francisco's yeah. problems are worse than 100%. ours la has problems seattle's D- yeah, problems dc has gone
1: gone like crazy i mean it just it, it's a totally different city than it was before COVID. it's really, really i mean sad.
0: all all this office space just vacated and that means there's not eyes there's not people walking yeah. around yeah. and that just allows bad traffic right and yeah, I mean, I've been to Austin, Texas and I saw more homeless people there than I did in Portland. So <laughs> I, I think that po- uh, po- like politics and urban environments are just difficult no matter what. And the yeah. reality is just like managing a scaling business is difficult. like. The government is worse than private business, anyways. And then when they don't have control over the growth, right? Yeah, so, like all of these places that we're naming have seen massive growth over the past two decades, which is why the pricing is the way that it is. It's just hard to govern. Like, yeah. that's the, it's a hard job. Yeah. Politics aside, it's a hard job.
1: Yeah. No, I, I absolutely, man. Could not, could not agree more or could not have said it better myself. Hey, guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. And just a reminder, that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review, please. All right, guys, back to the show. In, in terms of in terms of your actual business like how many how many like employees do you have
0: a uh, lot i got told this other day i think we have like 90 employees 90? now wow. so mostly yeah. mostly part-time cleaners we w2 all of our cleaners we okay. run the cleaning and management in-house we have vas in the philippines um we have a small contracting company that we do our remodel jobs with that that doesn't have very many employees we use mostly subs but um and then we acquired a retail furniture store and a staging company as well so that has like 15 employees i think
1: okay okay mostly all on the cleaning cleaning end though okay okay what aspect of the business has been like what aspect of the business do you enjoy most and then what aspect of the business is like you know the biggest headache today anyways
0: yeah i mean i think i think we touched on that i like the seeing building something from nothing right whether that's like bare land or a house that hasn't been taken care of and then being able to turn that into something Then i also like the the deal right like i like tracking down the deal like we have some pretty creative sourcing methods and uh, being able to track down the deals and negotiate the deals that's the fun part Um, operations is hard and so i i probably as i say that like i'm the person who'd rather more lean into the things that are hard than um, the things i enjoy so i've traditionally spent a lot of times on a lot of time on operations, not maybe as much in the past, like six to 12 months. Hmm. Um, but yeah, operations is hard and that makes it not quite as fun, but I think it's the most important part of short-term rentals, especially at, at scale.
1: Yeah, yeah. You touched on this briefly a second ago, but I'd love to hear just hear a little bit more about sort of the, the balance of the operation side, the the investment side of the business, then also just the, the hospitality side of the business, right? And like how you how you sort of marry those two well each require similar skill sets, right? Similar similar amounts of focus, but they're also they're also really different. Like how do you think about delivering like a great guest experience, but also doing so in in, in a profitable way? Like I think one of the challenges in the industry right now is some of the, you know Know, higher end like really incredible uh, escapes right um, are, are struggling to be profitable right because they, they pour so much into the guest experience right which again is, is, is super important. but how do you, I guess how do you sort of manage your portfolio in a way that's both giving a, a wonderful sort of unique memorable experience while also ensuring that the stay is profitable
0: yeah um i mean i think that that has to do with buying well, right and so like one of your questions i think you were going to ask later is something about um hot take that i have on hospitality and i think one of my hot takes is that this isn't a business where you can scale quickly at like vc speed and i think we've seen a lot of people fail i mean the is a penny stock saunders a penny stock It, it in my mind doesn't work like and that could just be like a self-limiting belief, but we have basically been on pace for like doubling every year and stuff breaks, even just going at that speed. And, and particularly when I talk about like it's the two different business, like not only is the operations hard to scale, but like you can't find good real estate. So your basis is everything. Right. And we're unique in that our product really varies in, in quality. Yeah. Um, It just depends on the, the neighborhood and really like, we're more focused on the asset so like we want an 8 to 12% unlevered yield on cash and that's on capital and that that's yep. that's like what we're targeting right so like we're buying the building and then fitting in the quality into what we can to make the numbers make sense right yeah uh why yeah what? we're not
1: we're not oh sorry i was just we're saying we're not like
0: over the top luxury yeah. we're we're like we try to be middle middle of the road like provide a good experience be polite um You know, own your mistakes
1: and but we don't go above and beyond on anything. Why do you like why do you think the Vicasas of the world and the Sonatas of the world have like, you know, more or less failed? Like what why why is it so hard to scale like from your perspective?
0: I mean, I, the way that I've described it before is I think about it this way. Like if you want to start a beverage company, right? Like there's tons of people that have scaled beverage companies before. Right. So I can go like hire an executive from Pepsi who was in distribution and he can tell me how to do distribution at a billion dollar beverage company, even though I'm just starting. Right. I can get consulting. It, it doesn't exist for short-term rentals. And so you're like trying to make the program as you go, I think. And I'm not sure that that's a sustainable model. Like, I think that the lessons learned in those other industries are learned over decades and decades. And I think it's a matter of like, this is only even being enabled by new technology in the first place. Hmm. And I think it's going to require even more new technology before it's like possible, like, fully possible to like how single-family homes are going crazy now, right? Because it's easier to manage things remote or self-storage, right? It used to be a very mom-and-pop business and now there's tech around it that works. Like, okay, there's tech around short-term rentals that work, but it's still way harder than a hotel. You don't have uniform centralized units. It's this decentralized business. And I'm like reading the Les book right now, right? Like he didn't go from 10 units to 400, right? (laughs) Like there's just a, a scale at which, businesses that require hands-on attention can grow before they break.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What what is your tech stack? Like what what do you guys use? Um we
0: use wheelhouse for pricing. Okay. We use hospitable, a lot of uh for like the property management side, we, we use a lot of Google Drive, a lot of custom Excel reporting files that are pretty complicated that we've made ourselves. Um we use turnover BNB for cleaners, to take photos of things, okay. QuickBooks, QuickBooks time for all of our cleaners to clock in and out. Uh, we have a pretty comprehensive tech stack, yeah, but yeah. yeah, none of those tools, like it's not, the, the industry isn't mature enough that those tools are specifically built for short-term like QuickBooks isn't specifically built for short-term rentals. Yeah, right. So yeah. it's not even specifically built for real estate, but that's like the beauty of it is it's like, it's customizable. So um, a lot of that stuff.
1: Do you guys, uh, have much, like how much of, how many of your bookings are like from a percentage standpoint are, are direct versus from, from OTAs?
0: None right now. We're pretty much all exclusively through Airbnb. We've been like trialing some properties with VRBO and booking.com, but it just doesn't seem to bring a lot of traction in Portland and and we're consistently, you know, I mean, historically we are like 95% occupancy. We like after Twitter, I kind of raised our prices and our cleaning fees a little bit and we're down to like 85, 90, um. But yeah, we have such high occupancy just through Airbnb it yeah. besides platform risk, it doesn't seem to
1: make sense to go elsewhere. Yeah do you guys on that note like from your perspective being uh, in the industry and, and you know networking and, and knowing some of the other players in the space, like what what are your thoughts on like direct booking? Like in in general, like a, as a strategy. Like you know, there are some folks that are really bullish on it, right? There's are some other folks that might be a little bit more bearish on it. Like where where do you sort of sit with respect to the importance of building direct booking strategies in in, in a meaningful way?
0: So, I think for like Live Oak Lake, right? Yeah. That is an amazing strategy. He yeah. does a bunch of direct. The product is uniform. Yeah. Like extremely clean experience that that's one of the most difficult things for us is to put the energy and time into marketing, which is not our expertise, web design, not our expertise, coding to make sure it all works. And you're going to have to have separate insurance that because Airbnb usually provides out all the chargebacks. Um, It seems like a lot of energy when our portfolio is so split, right? Like that's what I've always said. Why Airbnb works is like, if you stayed in my place and you liked it, I mean, we do a lot of last-minute stays. We do a lot of one-night stays. Yeah. So, the the likelihood that you go look a week in advance or last minute again and my place is available, yeah, it's just pretty unlikely. And just because you liked one of my places doesn't mean you're going to like my other place five miles across town. That might be like a completely different style of place. Yeah. So we're not uniform, I guess, in our experience. And then that makes direct booking less valuable to us. But I think for the people who are providing like a really unique experience to all in one place, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I always like getting different people's perspectives on it because I think depend, so, so one of the, the, at least, narratives out there is that if you're not seriously thinking about like direct booking, you're an idiot, right? And and I think that that's, that's, that's one perspective. But I, I feel like more often than not, the reality of the situation is it's so it really like unless you're serious about building a brand like isaac has done with live Oak, like unless you're really 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 serious about building some point of like true unique differentiation where you want to where you can afford to kind of manage the guest experience from a marketing standpoint all the way from a retention standpoint unless that's like the model that you want to emulate in your business OTAs are great, right? Cuz they do so yeah. much of that freaking work for you. And I, I feel like we like it's some some people in the industry really really bash the OTAs and I'm like, yeah, but look at the value that they're providing too, right? Um
0: I yeah, I I quite frankly think it's cheap. Like, yeah. you know, we so we we pay the fees ourselves. so It's 15% on Airbnb yeah. and you get 3 million dollar insurance policy. They handle all chargebacks. They that covers the credit card fee. Yeah. They literally bring me 85% occupancy like i don't know that i want even though that's a big budget if i did 100% direct like and i had that 15% dollar amount it's like yeah. it just sounds like more to handle so the only thing that i view it from is like a risk standpoint of getting deplatformed or something but I, i'm not sure that it's massively financially lucrative unless you're more like what isaac's done or if you have like an actual hotel yeah. and you could provide a very uniform experience so like We've been trying to do bigger and bigger projects. So if I do a bigger project and I actually have like 30, 40 units in one place and it's more hotel and style, but they have kitchens or something, sure. Maybe I'll make a direct booking site for that for property. For that property. Yeah. But yeah. but right but right now, like I'm I've from the beginning have been much more focused on the real estate than I am the fact that we're doing short-term rentals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um yeah. and so it's really like, does the real estate make sense? Yeah. And that I think could be the problem with some of these bigger companies too, right? Is like they're not looking at whether or not the lease that they sign makes sense or the the real estate makes sense. They're just looking at is it sexy and yeah. can I scale it fast? Yeah, and that's in my opinion a recipe for disaster in real estate to like pretend that this isn't an asset heavy business. It, it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like that's a that's a hot take depending on uh, who who's listening. Uh, which is which is great. I, I love it, man. Um. I'm curious from a from an expectation standpoint, right? Like, I from if if the timeline on your LinkedIn serves me correctly, you're about three and a half years into into this business. How have things stacked up against sort of like expectations three and a half years ago, as you were getting into this game, right? Did you think like you'd be where you're at right now? Do you think that you're ahead of where you thought you'd be? Do you feel like you're a little bit behind where you had hoped you'd be? Uh, how does Hayden kind of think about the present moment with respect to his expectations for where he would be a few years into the business?
0: Yeah, we're really more like, so it's like eight years in total I've been doing this. And I think actually like six of it, we've owned properties, but okay. I brought in a couple of partners that were friends and more formally made it a development company and started doing new construction for three and a half years. Okay. Um, before that we were just like doing small remodel jobs and plexes and stuff like that. Um, way bigger than i expected i mean we just keep every year i feel like it's not gonna be possible to double again and then like some weird opportunity comes up and we manage to double through some something unique right like <laughs> the opportunity to buy the furniture and saving company like that wasn't in my plans and i so i'm not a big like i like i love goals and i love setting goals but i'm not big in terms of like monetary or size related goals i yeah. think that they're they create poor incentives hmm. um so when we have our like team meetings, um, we we're doing traction, and they recommend that you do that stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to put like a 10 year goal. That's ridiculous. Like <laughs> it's literally ridiculous. Like I I understand the premise of having something to aim for, but we're all highly ambitious people, and we have equity and we're incentivized. Like let's just do deals that make sense. Like wh- wh- why set a goal and then have the rate environment that happened happen, and what are you going to like still try and do it? Yeah. I think that sure, maybe that'll make you find creative ways to get around it. But I think that you're just like setting yourself up for more disaster. So we'll just do like whatever makes sense at the time. Like we at one point had extra cleaners. So we started doing commercial cleaning. Yeah. um, Like cleaning for tenant turnovers or like third party client, property managers, stuff like that. It's, we're always just looking at whatever opportunity is there and then trying to never say no to, to really good opportunities and trying to put ourselves out there to find great opportunities as well.
1: Last-minute cancellations suck, and that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available jen is a returning guest and she wants to be notified if any week in june july or august becomes available in a matter of seconds jimmy and jen fill out the simple form and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available and as a host you will immediately get pinged via email with jimmy and jen's contact information and requested dates which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. I am curious about pitching, right, to to investors. Like, has that come naturally to you? You seem like a pretty confident uh, individual. You, you clearly are, are smart, but I feel like it's, it's, it's one thing to be confident and smart. It's another thing to like ask people for their money. Right. So talk to me a little bit about like what that experience has been like any, and any like particular lesson or, or or learning that you've garnered through the process of raising money.
0: Yeah. It's super funny. I'm, I'm like by far the most introverted of my friends. (laughs) Really, (laughs) We always actually like kind of joke that I might be on the spectrum a little bit. So, um, (laughs) I'm super confident when I'm talking about this stuff. This is my bread and butter. It it makes me happy. It gets me excited. But I'm not by any means a social person. Like I hate going to the bar. I finished college in two and a half years, and there could be I've joined a fraternity, but I like there could have been a party going on our fraternity, and I would be in my room studying or something. I don't know. (laughs) So, um, but I've always surrounded myself with really outgoing people, Hmm. and I think that that's like and i was fortunate enough to grow it up in a neighborhood where there was like eight guys within like two grades and so we were always just like playing sports and stuff and i really think that that forced me to be more extroverted than i would have otherwise yeah um and then how that ties into raising money i think the thing that's been most interesting to me is i'm very logical and numbers oriented and love spreadsheets and excel and i don't, I don't like to overcomplicate things because i think you get yourself in trouble that way so like we do all untrended unlevered as well. Right. I'm not trying to like guess appreciation and appreciation on rents or any of that, but most people seem to make their decisions uh, just based off trust. So it's really more relational, um, which I'm good at. I feel like I'm really bad at surface level conversation, which is like why I hate the bar party or concerts. Like that stuff drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, But people that I like have long standing relationships with. And we've just been fortunate to, and we're patient, right? Like I've never out actively raising money. So it's, it's more, it's been more casual, I yeah. guess, than I expected. And fortunately for us, I think we have a really good product. And so it just hasn't been hard, but also over the past 10 years, like capital markets have just been very available. So yeah. I'm ready to receive a lesson on that too, as things tighten up. I think that, that we're going to see a change. We, we haven't yet, but I think that we will. So yeah, most stuff has just been more based off trust and building relationships over a long period of time, right? Like meeting up with my manager from Intel multiple times after my internship ended or renting rental arbitrage from a landlord for yeah. three years and building a relationship with him. Then he introduced us to a guy. We managed that guy's house for two years and then he invested with us and then he in- introduces us to other people. So it's like, like I said, it's kind of the flywheel effect because yeah. one, once people start introducing you to other people, then it, it, is exponential in that way, but it's all through like long-standing relationships and we're not actively like going out to somebody knowing that they have money and trying to force a fit because we like, we want money now because yeah. we wanna grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's the other thing that we've done really uniquely that's a massive pain administratively, but all of our properties are separate LLCs. We're not raising some kind of fund where oh, people wow. don't know where their money is going. And a lot of these people have experience in real estate. So because we've been pretty good at sourcing in my opinion, and these people have real estate experience, Yeah, they look at the downside risk as like, oh, wow, that's awesome. You're getting this nine unit apartment building for 100 grand a door. And I know that it's worth 200 grand a door. So even if you can't make it work as a short-term rental, I can make it work as an apartment. Yeah. So yeah. yes, I will give you money for this deal because you're going to make me two to three X what I would make buying it, but I would have bought it anyways. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, I think, the unique hybrid that we have going that maybe a lot of sh- other short-term rental players don't yeah. have. Yeah
1: yeah no, so, so well said and, and and super interesting there uh i did want to ask you a question around as as you've seen sort of like a lot of new people enter into enter, enter the space during really during covid right uh we saw like supply like shoot way up what um what are your thoughts on like well will will we see sort of like a bunch of operators you know and operators being even if you're operating you know one or two units right will we see sort of this like mass exodus from the short-term rental space will people not is sort of like the the COVID boom of of more people getting into the airbnb space is that is that going to die out relatively soon or like from your perspective what's going to happen to all the new people that came into the space and decided to you know change their uh, longer term rentals into short term rentals and or build short term rentals from the ground up. Like any any thoughts you have on just sort of like the quote unquote oversupply of short term rentals, uh, which I know is is like you know hotly contested depending on who you talk to. But like any any thoughts uh, from from your perspective just around kind of like the state of of the industry.
0: Yeah, I mean, so we're affected by that at Mount Hood because um, there's no regulation there. We're not as affected by that here. There's a pretty natural supply constraint. So like I said, they're not doing a great job of enforcement, but I think just the fact that the laws exist and they're so clear in the first place yeah. prevents a lot of like good good actors from just willingly breaking them. And I- anybody who can think knows that it doesn't make sense to scale beyond a certain point illegally. Right. So like maybe you have one or two properties that are illegal, but you don't scale to like 50 units Yeah, yeah. that only pencil on a short-term rental when you're doing it illegally. It just, that would not make any sense at all. And it would be hard, I think, to raise capital that way too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. At Mount hood, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, we're, we're seeing a decrease in, in revenue, like a pretty significant one, but what I'll say is that the, boom that happened in real estate prices in that market over the past three years and people are still buying. If you bought three years ago, it's not nearly as lucrative as it was, but it's still, at least in my experience, like was because we managed some properties up there for other yeah. people and I I know their basis and their terms on their loans and stuff. So, and and some of them offer that same product that we're talking about that's like pretty mediocre, like nothing special. It's not like you know, Taylor Jones type stuff where it's like has a mural or like some kind like of attraction slide, yeah. like a slide, right? <laughs> yeah, but like something, there's nothing like, it's not well-designed. It's yeah. not a unique asset. It's not a unique location. It's, it's, there's nothing unique about it, which is like what people bag on, yeah. right? But even though revenues might be down 20%, it's still pencils completely fine. So I, I just, like my, I guess my point is those people aren't going to exit. So that's my personal experience. Yeah. And I think that at the macro level, it's I don't know. I don't make bec- bets at the macro level. And it's too hard for me to say how many people own those houses because they just want a vacation house, and if it covers
1: half the mortgage, mortgage, they're, happy. they're fine. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and,
0: and and if you see your equity getting pumped 10, 15 percent a year, who cares if maybe you're losing all of it? Maybe they don't care. I, yeah. I don't know. What are their jobs? It's just there's too many different situations. I think to to know.
1: Yeah. 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 Super interesting, man. So what about going outside of Portland and the area? Like, is that on the roadmap? Do you think about that? Or what are are your thoughts there?
0: So, so we've talked about this a lot. I mean, we've looked at markets like Nashville or which has some pretty common sense regulation or like Austin, which I think is going to continue to get more and more strict. What we realized is like, we have a lot of operational efficiencies here being vertically integrated and a, a lot of network with subs and contractors and stuff. So we'd basically be starting over if we went somewhere else. and. We're kind of banking. We're not banking on it because our stuff pencils now. But like, I have a pretty good inkling that once Portland figures their stuff out, they're going to enforce these laws. Yeah. They have Airbnb already agreed to share all the data with them, so yeah. they have all the data and they're only using it for tax enforcement. Is my understanding right now? They don't have the resources to contact everyone. Yeah. But eventually, that'll happen. And if they eliminate fifty to eighty percent of the supply in the city, then you know I could double for the next five years just in portland if i can find good real estate yeah and not have to go anywhere else so why make things harder than they need to be a- aside from like we have earthquake risk and it's centralization risk it's it's you know you're not decentralized but uh, i don't know yeah that's that's my that's where i'm at right now
1: no makes it makes a lot of sense um what what do you think and again just asking you this question because you are a curious guy who I'm sure has, uh, has thought about this at least a little bit, but like, what do you think about like the wonders of the world, right? Or like the, the hears of the world and like these, these kind of like new operators that are trying to sort of like vertically integrate, um, the short term rental experience, like what any, like I don't know, opinions or, or, or hot takes on these folks. Um,
0: I would just encourage anybody to, to look at their fees. That's all that I would say. Okay. I, I don't think that they're necessarily in the business of operating super lucrative short-term rentals, they, they make a lot on their fees. So yeah, I, yeah, not, not my business model.
1: Okay. Okay, cool. Enough said, man. Um, a couple of final questions for you. One is just around, I know that you briefly, uh, touched on this earlier, but just any other sort of hot, uh, hot takes, uh, predictions, if you will, on sort of like the future of, of travel and hospitality.
0: I, I mean, I think that you probably know your friends, I know my friends. I think it's a, a general trend and as our generation has more and more money, I think it's something that like we'll see a major shift between like a, what the wealthiest guy in the world now is luxury goods. Yeah. Um, I view experiential things will be, start becoming a lot more valuable than luxury goods. I, I, I don't know. I, I personally own no luxury goods, so maybe I'm biased by that. but. Same, um, I yeah, just think that yeah. our generation our generation is a trend, right? It seems that like experience is a lot more important. I mean, like one of my business partners lives in Colombia for six months out of the year, right? And yeah. I, I just think that, that that trend globally, especially as we see, um, you know, other countries continue to accrue more wealth, right? Like that will be a thing for them too. So I think our generation having more money leads to more experience-based spend. Um, and that's going to be a trend that we're going to see for for a long time. I also think urbanization is a trend that we're going to continue to see. So,
1: huh? Yeah. Uh, On that note, like, if if that's if that's true, like, have you thought about um, have you thought about building up like a consumer facing like brand that wraps everything together? Like, you know, at two hundred plus units, right? Like, what are I'm sure you've weighed the pros and cons, and sounds like right now, right, we're OTA specific and for for lots of really really good valid reasons. But like, have you thought about developing sort of like a more consumer facing brand?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've thought we, we talk about it regularly. Um, and we're constantly revisiting it. I mean, like hospitable is coming out with a new direct, uh, plug in basically that you could just do it from there. So you don't have to do a custom. I I think we just decided that like doing a custom wasn't worth it. yeah, And that like, kind of, like I said, if we're going to do it, it would be like for one asset here, one asset there, not for the entire portfolio. And, And I think that's that's the bigger problem, is like I said, our, our portfolio is too unique to wrap everything up in one. Per- it wouldn't yeah. make sense. It'd yeah. be like trying to brand a best western as a Ritz Carlton. Like they're not the same thing. So like we own both. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, I own 225, but we might be spread across like four or five different categories. So it's really only like 30, 40 of each category. And then at that point, now you go back to like, oh, you're not the size that it makes sense. And, yeah. and the amount of effort, like now I got to do this four times. Exactly. Exactly. Right? So I I don't need to build one brand, I need to build four. And even building one sounds daunting to me. That's not my like I said, I'm kind of a spreadsheet guy. I'm not a creative type. So yeah. Um it's just not in my skill set. Now, if I run into somebody on my team or in life that can help with that, and they're like, Oh, I've got this, no problem. I can build these five brands for you. And we're going to do it super cost effective because X, Y, and Z reason. Yeah. I'm going to explore it, but I did, that just hasn't come across me yet.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, it's not something that you want to rush into. That is for sure. Um, what about, what about an exit strategy? Like, do you think about that? Or is this sort of like, Hey, like I want to play this game for the next 20 years and I'm, you know, I'm not even like looking anywhere else right now or like uh, how often do you spend time thinking about whether or not you'd sell?
0: Yeah. So traditionally we've been buy and hold, um, and we haven't sold anything yet. Yeah. I, I've been talking to some just like local developers in town that do multifamily stuff. And they're like, well, you know, you really should at least put a couple things to market and see if you can establish some kind of exit cap, even if you don't want to sell your whole portfolio, right? Like just knowing what an exit cap looks like yeah. will help you if you eventually do need to raise more money and you're having trouble doing it because you don't have an exit cap. Um, so that's been a thought. Like we've thought about just like listing some stuff and seeing what kind of traction we get. But yeah, I'm a big fan of owning the assets yeah. in the long run. Um, it's not necessarily in our best incentive right now because we have massive promotes that we're not realizing because we can't put a lot of debt on our properties. And now it doesn't make sense to put a lot of debt on our properties. So we have a lot of equity tied up there. But fortunately, we just haven't had problems raising new equity for new projects. And um, everyone on my team isn't like super focused on having a bunch of cash right now. We don't yeah. have any like stuff that we need, right? Like, th- like I said, luxury goods or nice yeah. cars, <laughs> nicer houses. So um, I don't know. We're we're content and yeah. just having fun building. I guess. Yeah, sounds kind of corny. Corny, but
1: <laughs> no, dude. It's it's a, it's, a, it's the perfect place to be, right? Like it's like especially right now in this particular moment. Like it would it would suck if the alternative was true, which was let you were looking for a big payout like right now, because um, it's a it's you know just a somewhat unpredictable like moment. Every moment is a little bit unpredictable, but this one feels feels a little bit more unpredictable than mm-hmm. uh, than, than moments past.
0: And, and part of that's waiting for the regulation tied in Portland to come to fruition because yeah. I know it's going to have a massive impact on revenues. Yeah. And then also waiting for the debt markets on short-term rentals to mature because they're just not, they're not there. Yeah. Um, and so you can't put a lot of debt on them. So I think both of those two things will compress whatever cap rates happen to be at that point in time. Um, and so I guess even when rates were good, I didn't view it as a good time to sell short-term yeah. rentals yeah. because... The, for those two reasons, yeah. the supply hasn't been yet been constrained and there's no established debt product for these products. I, I mean, it's different, right? Like for Taylor who's like selling single family homes and stuff, right? You can get resi products or DSDR loans fairly easily. And so that was great back then when rates were good. Um, but on the stuff that's five units and above it's commercial loans. And they're like, well, we don't know if your hospitality, so yeah. we want to underwrite this multifamily, yeah. but it's vacant. So then what do we do? Right? Like it's the whole rodeo
1: yeah 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 and it's important to be patient and like wait to see how these things how these things play out and hopefully there'll be a little bit more clarity in the next few years hopefully we don't have to wait like a couple decades i think it'll i think there'll be some more clarity in the next few years
0: yeah i mean things move fast nowadays right and So I think, I think you're
1: right. Well, cool, man. Hey, this has been a a privilege. The, the last question I have for you is just around like your information diet, right? Like what, who do you pay attention to? Like, what do you like to read or listen to and any sort of like recommendations that you, you'd leave folks with?
0: Yeah. Um, obviously on Twitter, um, I haven't been as active recently. I'm more of a reply guy than, uh, making my own posts, but I have a few things out there. And then, uh, Moses is my favorite follow, like most people. So, um, Follow Moses, read his blog. And uh, I read a lot, read a lot, listen to a lot of Audible. Hmm. Uh, I have a list that I posted on Twitter before, but I can send you the, it's like a public Google sheet that cool. everyone can view. So I can send that to you. Um, yeah, I read, I, I've re- I, I thought it was normal, but I think I read on 2x probably more than a lot of other people like i don't ever (laughs) listen to music in the car yeah yeah, um throw throw it on when i'm in the sauna like i just always pretty much have audiobook on
1: okay i like it man any anything like you're reading right now that's interesting to you
0: gosh i'm reading three books right now the the left wob autobiography which is really hard to get your hands on um has some i got recommended a couple times so i finally decided to buy it. it has some really they have a really cool incentive structure Hmm. around how they built their businesses and how they compensate their managers and employees. Um, I'm like halfway through that, but it's, it's really interesting. And it's funny because it's written like in his tone, he's totally like a, just a country boy and he did not have a ghostwriter or anything. So it's, it's, it's a good (laughs) read.
1: Entertaining, I'm sure. Um, Well, man, Hey, appreciate your time. Thank you again for all that you're doing. Um, And for folks that want to connect with Hayden and or uh, reference any of the resources he just recommended. I'll have all of those linked in the show notes below. Thanks everybody for tuning in. And hey man, thanks so much for uh, making time for us today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at ZACH at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's Cheap Flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone. See you next time.